0: needs to come. Come on, let's give a shout of praise unto the Lord God most high. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Now tell me, wasn't praise and worship awesome this morning? Come on, let's put our hands together for the choir. Papa, God richly bless you, yourself and your team. I mean, this band, man. Ah. Nah, I'm telling you guys you did. Nah 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 you did, you did. Nah nah. well done, well done, well done guys. God richly bless each and every single one of you. I am so blessed to be here again. Thank you so much for having me. You know, moments like this, I it takes me back to when I was much younger. So many a times my uncle or my aunt would visit. And anytime they visit, I get so excited. Why? Because I know they would give me some money, right? I don't know if you remember when you were much younger, you know, you get excited when you know your aunt or aunt is coming. They're a visitor because you know by the time they leave, they're definitely going to, you know, give you some money, right? Sometimes they bring bread and those days, yeah, we used to get excited over bread. Amen. It's true, right? Yeah. So in as much as sometimes I get so excited when a visitor is coming to the point where sometimes, you know, I don't even regard my mom or dad. But, you know, in as much as, a visitor comes to give you gifts. It is nothing compared to what your father gives you. Because your father gives you an inheritance. And you guys at ICGC Prayer Temple, you have an amazing father and mother in the person of Reverend Daniel Owuku. And First Lady, God richly bless you for, you know, carrying on the mountain, for, you know, carrying on with the vision. I remember many years ago when, when, when I first came, I think it was the other side, right? And man, look at this place now. This, Man, this feels like a setup. Amen. Amen. And we are so blessed for for your life. God richly bless you. I mean, um, 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 I don't take this lightly. So thank you so much for having us. And God richly bless you for carrying on with the grace and the anointing to be such a blessing. And when we were back doors, I mean, we were almost getting to the, you know, point of signing a deal where pastor can leave here and now come and live with us in London for just 10 years, and then he can... No? No? Hey, so you guys are not saved. What happened to Sharon is caring. You don't want to share. you. <laughs> God richly bless you. Shall we quickly share a word of prayer and we'll quickly move into the word of the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, this morning we want to thank you for your grace. We want to thank you so much, Lord, that the entrance of your and up until tomorrow, darkness has never been able to comprehend your light. Therefore, Father, this morning I want to thank you that as your word is being shared, sicknesses and diseases are checking out of this place. As your word is coming forth, chains are being broken. As your word is coming forth, Father, we want to thank you that our minds are renewed and our lives are going to be transformed. Heavenly Father, right now as we are about to receive your seed, seed is not our goal, O Lord, but harvest. Therefore, we ask, dear Lord, that your word would create a great harvest in our lives today and in every area of our lives. We give you praise. We give you glory. Holy Spirit, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, and let your word today be a blessing unto us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's put our hands together for the Lord as you gently take your seats. Please take your seats. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. It is such an honor and a great privilege to be here. You guys have an amazing assembly. And you know, again, back in those when I was speaking to Pastor, you could really tell, you know, the heart of Pastor, and Pastor really has a good heart for each and every single one of you. Amen. And I think, I think, no, on a on a serious level, I think we also have a great response ability as part of the church to play our role, to make sure that, you know, we are supporting himself and mama, giving him all the best help that he needs. Hallelujah. Amen. To pastor such great assembly. Amen. So, you guys, man, you're in safe hands. You're safe hands. And I'm so blessed. Actually, I'm jealous you call him pastor. I wish he was my pastor. Amen. So, I mean... Nah, you guys are in great hands. Quickly turn with me your Bibles to the Book of John, chapter number one, the verse seventeen. Understand? You've been, you know, treating, you know, going back to the foundation, looking at how how we can get deeply rooted and established in this church, particularly this assembly. So um, I would like to add the cherry on top of the cake that you know Pastor has already baked. Amen. Amen. So um, let's quickly go into the word. And it says, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. But grace, which also can be said is truth, came by Jesus Christ. Because if we know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, the same Jesus Christ also is the way. If he is the truth and Jesus Christ is the life, then truth it's a person. Do you agree? Jesus Christ is the way, not the way. He is the only way. Jesus Christ is the truth. When we put together the total summation of truth, we can say the truth. It's a person because Jesus Christ is the truth. So now, for the law was given by Moses, but grace, which is truth, which is a person, came by Jesus Christ. People of God, when we talk about the grace of God, we are saying that grace, it's God's generosity towards mankind. The grace of God is God's willingness to get involved into inadequacy. The grace of God is God coming down to my level. To bring us up to his level, you know, the son of God became the son of man so that the sons of men can now become the son of God. When God created me in his perfect image and likeness, he created me as God. But through sin, when I lost that similitude to become who God is, God had to become the son of man. So we sons of men can become the sons of God. The early great Latin and father et imitari, which simply means to know God and to imitate him and each and every Sunday as you and I come here each and every single Sunday as God is being taught we are becoming like Christ so one day each and every day when you look at yourself in the mirror you see yourself but one day you would stand in front of your mirror and instead of seeing you you would see Jesus Christ hallelujah One day people in your neighbors will look at you and they'll shout Jesus. You tell them, no, it's still me, Antiochia. Amen. So when we talk about the grace of God, the grace of God is God coming down to my level to bring me up to his level. The grace of God is God's undeserved, unmerited favor. The grace of God, it's opposite of karma. So many a times we hear karma, karma, karma a lot. Grace is the opposite of karma. That means that that which was supposed to get to you because of the grace of God, it will not get to you. Hallelujah. And all this was as a result of what one person did on the cross. So many a times we hear the grace of God. It's a dispensation. But I beg to differ. The grace of God, it's not a dispensation. So many times you'd hear preachers say, in this dispensation of grace, it seems grace had had never been from the existence, but since the creation, since the beginning of time, grace has always been in existence. It's actually God's consistent character from eternity past to eternity future. And from like how we did earlier this morning, hopefully, through the message we would you know, a character of God, hallelujah. So, when you and I can get the true identity of God, we can find our true identity also because it is in Him we live, in Him we move, and in Him we have our being. So, if we can get a correct picture of God, you and I can relate to Him. Somebody shout, Amen. So, grace, as a matter of fact, predicted the New Testament. The total summation of the gospel is actually the grace of God. It is how God relates to man and how God relates to our inadequacies. Hallelujah. Amen. So the grace of God, again, is God posing himself into mankind. Is God disposing himself. God's, um, um, into man's failure. The grace of God is God disposing himself into our inadequacies, hallelujah, towards man deficiencies, amen. And in the process of that, God had to deal with sin, amen. When we read the book of Genesis, chapter number one, the verse one, Moses here was speaking about God's redemption plan, not necessarily giving an account of how God created the world. The Bible, we need to understand, has its own language. And so many a times when you are reading scriptures and you don't read it in its language, in its context, you would misunderstand the entire true text of what the writer was trying to say. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Next verse. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. If this was a true account of creation, then that, it's an error. Because when God creates something, it is perfect. There is no way God can create an earth that is void. There is no way God can create an earth that is without form. There is no way God can create earth that is filled with darkness because him, God, is light. Over here, Moses was foretelling of a redemption process that God was about to do with humankind. How do I know? Later in the text, God commands man to say, replenish the earth. Again, let's pay attention. To replenish something means it was already full. So does that mean that when God created the Earth, it was lacking? That is not God, right? Because when God does something, He does it with clear precision and it is perfect. So this text here is not Moses giving us an account of how God created the world I mean I mean, um, the world. He was rather foretelling of a redemption process that God was about to do. So man, we know it's earthy. So man was filled with darkness and the Lord said, let there be light because light then is the solution for darkness. Are you with me? Please stay with me. We're going on a journey. So as a result of sin, God had to introduce a redemption process because when God actually created the world, nobody was there. And someday I would really like to go to heaven, you know, and, and ask Moses what God actually showed him to actually put these words, you know, because a lot of the things that Moses speaks about, they are very metaphorical, amen? And that is God will not overlook sin, that is God cannot trivialize sin, God cannot tolerate sin nor accommodate sin, that God would rather punish sin. But in the process, God will not punish the sinner. Rather, God will punish himself in place of the sinner. So then the grace of God is that God will punish himself and not the sinner. Hallelujah. So today from our main text, we'll be reading from the book of Romans, chapter number 3, the verse 23. I might seem rushing it It's simply because I want to cover a number of things then God willing, we'll leave it off to whenever I get another opportunity to be with you. Is that okay? Is that all right? Awesome. Romans chapter number three, let's read from the verse 22. The verse 22. Even the righteousness of God. You know what? Let's start from the verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest the righteousness of god without you having to do anything because in the error of the law it is you do this, then god is. in the error of the law it is you do your bit god does his bit but now the righteousness of god without the law has now been made manifest being witnessed by the laws and the prophets. so again when you see the laws and the prophet it is talking about the total summation of the torah of the old testament right now the verse 22 even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe so in other words now the righteousness of God or the grace of God it's now available to everybody that believes today you and I have been made righteous Irrespective of whatever you do, you still have that identity and I beg you to still continue holding on to that identity. Irrespective of whatever you do, whatever you did, so long as you have been bought by his blood, by, his to- by the total summation of the sacrificial works of God, that is now your true identity. And this is what the enemy does. Sometimes we still have tendencies of committing the acts of sins. So the devil would be accusing you to you that, oh, last night, remember, you know, when you were gossiping, so all of a sudden you were in the church worshiping, the devil can whisper if you don't guard your heart. And before your hand was like that, then you remember what you told that sister, then it keeps coming down. That brother, when you lied against him, then over time you find yourself, then you become so filled with guilt. That is the works of the enemy. You must always hold on to your identity. We call it the gift of righteousness. Why is it a gift? You did not work for it. You did not have to fast 40 days and 40 nights to be righteous. So if you did not work for it, there is nothing you can do to lose it. So long as you have that faith in Christ Jesus, right? Right? So long as you choose to hold on to him, so long as you don't denounce him. Amen. So now the grace of God has now been made available to all that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And scripture says there is no difference. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter whichever background you come from. Because when God created man, he created man in his image and in his likeness. The first thing God created was the spirit of man. And the function God gave to man was to his spirit because it was later down in chapter 2 we saw the formation of man. But then in the chapter 1, when God created man from the chapter 1 from the verses 22 to 23, he gave a function to man that you multiply, be fruitful, subdue the earth. It was given to your spirit. Now where you come from, it's as a result of your father and your mother coming together to form your outer man. So it doesn't matter where you come from, so long as you can believe, so long as you can connect your spirit with the spirit of God, the grace of God has been made available to you. And the righteousness of God will be upon you. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Now, the next verse. Verse 23. So now it says that because the grace of God has now been made available, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Unfortunately, this text here, earlier when I was telling the um, 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 the first assembly, this unfortunately brought sin consciousness to the church. So every time we gather, we would rather spend time there. Oh, the Bible says for all have sinned fallen short of So now let us, you know, start confessing our sins. Then it brings sins consciousness. But with the actual true main, meanwhile, the subject matter of the text was not sin, but rather saying that righteousness has been shared abroad. So inasmuch as for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, in that same light, the glory of God, in that same light, the grace of God, in that same light, the righteousness of God has already been bestowed upon you and I. Hallelujah. The verse 24 Being justified freely. Now, the word justified in the Greek is the word dikaiou. I'll spell that for you in case you're making note. It is spelled D-I-K-A-I-O-O. Dikaiou. Dikaiou. D-I-A-I-O-O. That is the word justified. So being justified freely. The word justified freely by the grace through the redemption that it's in Christ Jesus so the word justified is actually the legal term for the word righteous you've been justified you've been declared acquitted and discharged without prejudice it was assumed you never did that act when you go to court and they declare you innocent you are acquitted of all charges without any prejudice it's like it never happened right That is the loving father. That is the kind of loving father you and I serve, people of God. So being justified freely by his grace. Now, watch this. It says it is through the redemption that it's in Christ Jesus. So my justification came as a result of a third party. So justification is not based on my effort. My justification, my right standing now with God, it's not because I fasted. It is not because I've been praying for 40 days. It is not because of the time I gave, but rather it is as a result of a third party intervention who is none other. Than our Lord Jesus Christ, hallelujah, the one we've been singing about all day, the one we've been praising and worshiping all morning. So my justification, it's not based on my effort. I didn't have to work for it. I didn't have to work for it by my own effort. Rather, it was through the works of Jesus Christ. It was what? His redemption, which the Greek puts it apolutrosis, again spelled A-P-O-L-U-T-R-O-S-I-S, apolutrosis. That is the Greek word for the word redemption, which simply means the releasing or liberation procured by the payment of a ransom. Normally, we hear stories of kidnappers and that when somebody is kidnapped, we demand a ransom, When kidnappers do, I mean kidnap someone, they normally ask for a ransom. And if you don't pay the ransom, they die, right? We hear stories every day. The word redemption, which is the word is meaning the releasing or the liberation which was procured as a result of a payment of a ransom, amen. That means a ransom was to be paid. A ransom was paid to the kidnappers to release you. And the kidnapper is the one to whom the ransom is paid. Let's pay attention here. The ransom is paid to the kidnapper. The kidnapper is the one to whom the ransom is paid. So if God wanted to save us, God then cannot be the kidnapper. So we have to find who the kidnapper is. So that means that from the beginning, God had never had problem with you and I. But rather, we were in a state called sin. Say sin. Say sin. And sin here, I'm talking about the state of sin, not necessarily the acts of sin. I would explain. When I talk about the acts of sin, I'm talking about fornication. I'm talking about, you know, lies. I'm talking about, you know, all the acts of sins we hear. And sometimes, unfortunately, we commit once, once in a while. Right? It's once in a while, right? Right? So when we were kidnapped by the state of sin, we deserved to be punished. Why? For the wages of sin is? The wages of sin is? So because the wages of sin is death and we were in the state of sin, now the state of sin had its demands. This is very basic. Like Pastor said, we are, we're going back to basics. So we didn't, you and I, did not have the ransom. That's number one. Nor did we have the means, nor did we have the means to pay. Neither did we have the capacity or the ability to afford the payment to sin. Because we were not, we were not in a good position to pay sin its demands. So somebody had to die. Amen. But thanks be to God that through a third party's intervention... You and I were saved. So this scripture here, it's saying that now you and I have been justified. Now we have the right standing with God where we can freely come to his light. We can freely come to his kingdom, but it is not as a result of your effort. It is through a third party and that third party, again, is Jesus Christ. So people of God, Jesus Christ is the ransom that brought the redemption. Jesus Christ is the ransom and also the redeemer. So he is the ransom and also the redemption. The redemption which is in Christ Jesus. The next verse. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. The word propitiation simply means payment. The word propitiation simply means payment. So whom God has set forth to be the payment. So God from eternity already pre-programmed the sacrificial works of Christ. So God in in, in time past already pre-programmed what he was going to do for mankind. What God was going to do for you and I. So God set Christ to be the payment. The payment has already been made. People of God, I said the payment has already been made. And for the state of sin to be satisfied by that payment, that means you, do, you, you no longer belong in the state of sin. That's why the Bible says he has transformed us or translated us from the kingdom of darkness to his marvelous life. Because we used to be in the state of sin. Earlier this morning, I gave an example that, you know, I was born and raised in our lovely mother Ghana. And I grew up here in Ghana, but over time I had to go join my parents in London, right? So I left one state to another state. Are you with me? At the initial stages, I still had the Ghanaian accent. At the initial stages, I was still craving for our local food because I have a fresh Sisiana Mifi Ghana buyer, right? Right? JJC Johnny just come. So, you know, I was still craving for the things of Ghana, my previous state. So, once in a while, I would still crave for the Wache. Once in a while, I would still crave for, you know, the Fufu and the Banco. You know, my accent wasn't all that because I have always been in that state. Are you with me so far? Are you with me so far? But now, I no longer... I'm in that state because now I carry something they call the British, the British passport. It's such a joke. Um, now I have the British passport, which now doesn't make me a Ghanaian. Although I was born in sin, I am no longer in the state of sin. But once in a while, but it does not necessarily mean that I am from Ghana, I am British. You understand? So now that you've been transformed into his marvelous life, it is like when you sin, you have tried so hard to sin. You are a righteous person trying so hard to sin. But sometimes we think of ourselves as the opposite, that we are sinners trying so hard to be righteous. Right? Right? You must accept your new identity, and until you know yourself in Christ, your relationship with God at this foundation is going to be shaky. Because if you don't know the God you are serving, you cannot put your trust in him. Amen? It says, so whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, which simply means the payment, true faith in his blood. Another correction here. When any time you read the blood... Or anytime you see the blood of Christ, it is not talking about the liquid, the red, you know, the red liquid form that you and I have in our veins. It is not necessarily the liquid, you know, that comes out of a human being when they get a cut. Anytime you see blood, it is talking about the total summation of the sacrificial work of Christ. The entire sacrifice and the entire framework of the redemption, it's represented by the word blood. Remember I said the Bible has its own language. And sometimes, you see, when we were studying, I mean, my good friend here, Stephen, we used to, they taught us this in school that, um, yes, it is raining cats and dogs. It means it is raining heavily. Right? So one time I told my son, Paris, wow, it's raining cats and dogs. No, daddy. It's not raining cats and dogs. He, it's now in a different time zone, different dimension. But when I say it is raining cats and dogs, because back then we were trained with such medium, such metaphors, we understand what we mean. So the Bible itself has its own language. Amen. So when we read, again, we must understand the language, we must understand the context in which it is being used, then we can apply in our days today. Hallelujah. So when you see the blood, it is talking about, you know, the, he, we, we, are, we are talking about the death of Christ, we are talking about, you know, the resurrection of Christ, and we are also talking about the, um, the ascension of Christ. When you read the book of Leviticus, chapter number 17, the verse 14, it tells you that for the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is what? It's in the blood. So when we say blood, we mean the person himself or the entire life of a person. So the blood of Jesus Christ is the life of Jesus Christ himself. Amen. Please take us back, take me back to Romans chapter 3. 15 more minutes and I'm done, I promise. whom God has set as a propitiation by the blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. The verse 26. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier. Say he might be, be just and the justifier. So God, in the process of redeeming us from the state of sin, God couldn't have just treated sin as a trivial matter. God had to deal with the matter fair and square because sin had its demands. The wages of sin is what? So someone had to die. But God is almighty. God is sovereign. He could have just brushed sin under the carpet, but he didn't. Because if God had done that, then it would mean that God himself had criminal tendencies. God himself would be unjust. So in the process of God redeeming you and I, that representing um, that demonstration at that time, you know, where God was presenting time, his righteousness, he, God, had to be just. He couldn't have just brushed it under the carpet. He had to deal with it legally. And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So he is the one that is going to set the rulings. However... The person who is going to set the rulings, it's also trying to justify us. So in the process of him justifying you and I, in the process of him giving us a new identity, in the process of God giving you and I a new identity, which is that righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ, he, God himself, had to be just. Irrespective of his sovereignty. Irrespective of how mighty it is. Irrespective of how all-powerful he is hallelujah this is to say that God did not bring his power nor his sovereignty to overlook sin as it seems it didn't matter the crime demanded punishment and a sentence by the constitution of the universe for God the judge of all to overlook the punishment that would mean that God himself is unjust and unfair hallelujah amen but glory to God that substitution, I mean, within the constitution, within 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 the constitution, the constitution also permitted substitution. Someone had to die. But within the constitution, it also permitted substitution. How do I know? Quickly, the book of John, chapter number 18, the verse 40. It got to a time where, you know, In the days of Christ, when Christ was about to go on the cross, the rulers at that time said to the people of the Jews that, you know what, every year we give someone as a substitute. You know what, I find no fault with this Jesus guy you guys have brought for me to, you know, crucify. So you know what, let me give you Jesus. But what did they say? Then they all cried again saying, no, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So Jesus Christ had now had to take the place of Barabbas because the rulers wanted to release Jesus Christ, right? But the Jewish people said no. Rather, crucify Jesus and give us Barabbas. So that goes to show that within the Constitution, the Constitution permits substitution. That in the place of the criminal, somebody else can die. And by the death of the third party, the criminal can now be seen in the eyes of the law as as justified without no prejudice, without no sentiments, without any emotions. This barbers guy walked away free of charge as seems he's never robbed in his life before. Although scripture says he was a robber, because the constitution Permits substitution. And thanks be to God that Jesus Christ is our substitute. Hallelujah. So when we were in the state of sin, Jesus Christ became our substitute. Jesus Christ became our ransom. Jesus Christ became our redeemer. So God had never had issue with us. So earlier this morning, it came up and I asked the church, does God get angry? Does God has wrath? And again, because of time, we would finish on that subject matter. I'm asking a question and I demand an answer. Does God get angry? Does God has wrath? We hear, and the vengeance of God. And the Lord killeth and the Lord giveth. And the vengeance of the Lord. And the anger of the Lord. Because we did not read the text carefully to see that it was merely the misrepresentation of the author. They did not know better. Quickly come with me to the book of Second Corinthians. And let's address this issue. Second Corinthians chapter number 5 the verse 21. And then would we'll go and quickly correct this correction. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins. So that we would be made right with God through Christ. So now he, God, had to give himself. If the issue was between us and God, there would be no need for God to give himself. The issue rather was between us and the state of sin. So God had never been angry with us How can God possess wrath in himself? How can there be wrath in God? Galatians chapter number 5, the verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Next verse. Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law because we are no longer under the law. Now the verse 24. And they that are Christ have crucified the what? The flesh. With the affections, with with its affections and lust. Now let's go back to, to the verse 19. Now let's look at the works of the flesh, right? Now the works of the flesh are manifest which are these. Adultery. Fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Next verse, sir. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, immolations, wrath. Are we seeing wrath? Now, wrath is the works of the what? Come on, speak back to me. Wrath is the, is the, is the works of the what? Is the works of the flesh. And God, it's of spirit, not the flesh. So, God does not possess in himself wrath. If God, it's saying that wrath, strife, sedition, heresies, next verse, sir, 21, envying, murder, drunkenness, reveling, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, That they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So now God is saying that if you possess wrath, which is work of the flesh. You will not partake in what? In the kingdom of God. So if God himself possesses wrath, then he's unjust. So the vengeance of God. The... Anger of the Lord. And it is simply because over time, that is what we preached, including myself. But as we grow, we steady, we know better. Because the importance of this is this. When you can know the true identity or the true character of the God you you can fully put your trust in him. Because you know that is his character. And that even if I fall, He's all merciful. Even if I fall, there is no anger in him to hurt me. God cannot deploy the works of darkness against me. Sometimes we hear of tsunamis. But when storm came, when Christ was with the disciples and storm came, he rebuked the storm. Because if God is the one that causes the storm to kill thousands of people, then we can't really trust him. Because we know one day he's good, the next day he's bad. We don't know when he's in a good mood or in a bad mood. Right? And that is not the kind of God you and I serve. Amen? And earlier I was telling the church that, listen... God does not even send people to hell. Ooh, I know that's another beef. You know, maybe we would, we would really take our time to grill and, you know, sort out this beef between us. But watch this. God does not possess in himself hell to give. God does not send people to hell. No. Now, how did God treat sin? Since Jesus Christ took on the state of sin, when a person is in the state of sin, he has decided to forego of the kingdom of light. So when Christ Jesus took upon himself the state of sin, it was more or less a declaration of him rejecting the kingdom of God. So for the first time, God came out of God. And God turned his back on God in the form of Jesus Christ. So when he left, he said, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? Because by Christ putting on himself the state of sin, it was a total proclamation that he didn't need God. And when God left, God who is light, God who is life, when God leaves you, inevitably, darkness comes. Inevitably, Death comes. Inevitably, fire, hellfire comes. So God does not have hell to give. When God leaves, automatically, darkness comes. Death comes. Hellfire comes. So when you go to hell, it is not because God has put you to hell. It is simply because you rejected God. So when God left, now darkness comes. So now watch this. If we are to turn the lights off. Automatic darkness comes. Do we invite light? Do we have to pray and fast that darkness comes? It comes automatic, right? So when an unbeliever decides that irrespective of the messages they are hearing, you know, someone may say that, well, Brother Isaac, I hear what you're saying, but then it is also written in the Bible, the Lord killeth and the Lord maketh a A life. Does God really kill? Oh, that's another beef we've got to solve another day. Because he gives life. He says that I am come. That you may have life. And have a life more abundantly. So for a believer, once through faith you possess that gift of righteousness, you have eternal life. A life which does not end. In comparison to the person who is in the state of sin, they do not have eternal life. Their life is not different from a plant life or the life of a chicken. You know how when you kill a chicken, yeah, it's a chicken, yeah, who cares? That is why we've got what to do, people of God. That is why we've got to help pastor, raise as many unbelievers to come to this church. Oh, what a joy would it be that we are filling all these seats With the lives of a number of unbelievers. Because your life now must now become an example to them. When the Bible speaks about, you know, witnessing. In those days and in those contexts, they weren't going about sharing tracts. Because that is too cheap. When witnessing truly meant that I can see your life and say that no, your life has changed. That was why the little girl was able to see um, um, Peter and said that No. You've been with Christ. Even you talk like him. You even smell like him. So your neighbors might look at you and say, ah, no. You sound like Pastor Danny Wuku. No, you even smell like him. No, you even speak like him. Now your life is becoming a witness. And today we have resulted to cheap ways of witnessing. We just leave tracks. Yes, it has its place. One day, someday, somebody, someone might read something and the Holy Spirit might touch their heart. But in the context of witnessing, the people were truly seeing the live transformation of the people. And it is my prayer that from today, your life will be transformed. That every unbeliever, when they see you, they can say that, yes, I know you have been with Jesus. Show me the way. in the next 5 minutes and I'm done and we say that because we read in the bible he killeth and he make it alive we didn't understand well enough to know that it was merely the impression of an author we read well the lord give it and the lord take it away without reading again well to understand that it was merely the impression of a fallen mind of job in the days of lot when it rained fire on the people It wasn't because God wanted to rain fire on them. The fire was already about to fall. Listen, people of God. The earth is deteriorating as a result of sin. Since the garden when Adam sinned, the earth, day in, day out, time in, time out. Today, we're hearing about global warming. The earth is deteriorating. Stuff are going to happen. It is going to rain. Storms are going to come. It's got nothing to do with God. But the Lord knows his own. So when Lot was in Sodom, it never rained fire. The moment Sodom, I mean the moment Lot left, the fire came. For 120 years, Noah was begging people to get into the ark. For 120 years, please come. Even animals came. But humans, we said no, we won't go. The moment the door was shut rain came, it's not because God, you know, wanted to destroy the people with rain. It was because God left. And when God leaves, calamity comes. When light leaves, darkness comes. We read that evil does not happen without God causing it. It's actually in the Bible. Again, it is because we've not read clearly to see that it was Purely the impression of Amos the prophet. These were their impressions. Why? Because no man has ever seen God. That is why Christ had to come. To show us the character of the Father. So when people were mimicking Jesus Christ, watch what his disciples said. Should we do unto them just like how Elijah did to them? But what did Christ say? You do not know of the kind of spirit Elijah had. Christ came to show us the Father. Christ came to show us the true heart of the Father. And it says when we pray, we pray our Father. He is Jehovah Nisi, but Christ never called him Jehovah Nisi. He is Jehovah Rafa. Christ never called him Jehovah Rafa. Christ always called him Father because he came to show us the relationship between a God and his children. And that when initially created you and I as God, we sinned. But from that time, he has always been working with man to woo his way back into our hearts. That he would win you and I. And people of God, this is the true character of God. Please rise on your feet with me. So many times in the Old Testament when something, you know, happened and they couldn't explain it. They'll conclude it by saying it must be God. Isn't it amazing that sometimes when tsunamis happen, we say it is the acts of God. They got it from the Old Testament. Sometimes when you're going to even insure your car, they will say, well, we won't insure it against the acts of God. So when there is a storm or when there is, you know, something happened where it damages your car, they won't insure it. They won't replace it. Because they did not have better understanding in those days. And it was just purely the impression Of a prophet then who did not have a better understanding of who God is. Because nobody had ever seen God. They said it must be God. God does not have wrath. So you can put all your trust in him. That even when you mess up. Keyboarders please touch the keys for me. Let's pray and, and I'm done. 44 seconds. Come on, lift up your hands. First of all, begin to thank God. Let's bless his holy name. Father, we thank you that you're so gracious to us. We thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you that you came to give us life and that we would have life more abundantly. Today, we boldly declare and shout, you are our Father. We want to thank you so much, O Lord, for your grace and that from today, we are living here knowing that you've always got our back. We're living here knowing that the price has already been paid and therefore from today i can boldly come father i thank you that you always give i thank you that you always love us father i thank you that you do not even look at what i do but you are always giving you're always loving and and therefore i choose to put all my trust in you because you are a good god and you will never leave me and you'll never forsake me come on begin to talk to god this morning Come on, begin to talk to God this morning. Come on, begin to talk to God this morning. Begin to talk to God this morning. He's a loving God, He's a loving Father. Speak to Him. Speak to Him about your needs. He cares. Speak to Him about your concerns this coming week. He cares. He cares. He wants to know. He wants to help you. He is willing to help. He is willing to save. He is willing to deliver. Speak to him. Come boldly and speak to your father. Come boldly and speak to him. Come boldly and speak to him. Come on, open your mouth. Begin to speak in the spirit. Come on, begin to talk to God. to God, just go ahead and talk to God. In the name of Jesus,